Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. Morning, everyone. Now, who's looking forward to Easter? Yeah, you're looking forward to the Easter eggs that the Easter Bunny's going to ring, aren't you? Yeah, no, Easter is such a special time. In fact, it's a, the most special time on the whole of a Christian uh, calendar. And that's what we're doing this month. We're, we're going to be just celebrating Easter and looking at why it's so important, why it's going to be so exciting uh, to, to see Easter again this year. Now, today we're going to be, we're going to be uh, visiting the Last Supper. The Last Supper happened on the Thursday before Easter, so it's what we call Palm Thursday or Easter Thursday, the day before Good Friday. And it was a time when Jesus had actually come walking into, into Jerusalem. But he, he didn't come just walking in in a nice, quiet way. Well, he might have intended that. But the crowds weren't going to let him just walk in and, uh, <clears throat> in a way that was unnoticed. The crowds were going off. Now, the crowds are there waving their palms and, and uh, proclaiming him a, a, a king and yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And so he was being welcomed as if he was a king, a king coming into the town. Now, you can imagine that the, the power people of the day didn't like that. The religious people, the Pharisees of the day didn't like that at all because, again, there was this upstart from the country who the crowds were flocking to and he was drawing thousands at different times, thousands of people at different times, and they were threatened. They were very, very threatened by that. Anyway, Jesus then went and, and took his, his, his A-team, his 12, his apostles, uh, and they went away just for a quiet meal uh, together that evening. But it wasn't just any meal, because that was the night that they were actually celebrating the Passover. And that was a very, very special time. And I'm going to unpack that in a little bit uh, more for you. But as our effort, effort meal, um, some extraordinary things happened. First of all, Jesus, who was the, he was the teacher, he was the guru, he was the one who was proclaimed as being like a king as he came into, into the city. He took off his outer garments and he got down on his, his knees and he washed their feet. Now, that wouldn't have been a pleasant job because if you can imagine going through the, walking through the dusty streets where the camels had been and the donkeys had been and everything like that, it'd be a bit like Griffiths's farm probably, actually, but um, it, it, it would have been you know, a pretty, pretty distasteful task. It was a type of task that was normally given to the servant. But Jesus was actually the leader, not the servant. But what he did in that very moment, he demonstrated uh, the whole thing of servant leadership. Uh, it had been Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote about him that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus showed that a leader was also to be a servant if we were to lead in a way of following him. And the second extraordinary thing that happened that night was that Jesus knew that one of his besties, one of a team, one of the twelve, was going to, to betray him that night. And it would lead, lead to a painful, painful death. And yet Jesus was, was still able to wash this guy's feet. He knew who it was. And in fact, later on that night, he said, go and do it quickly. He'd called this, this very person uh, a devil. 
and saying that you're going to betray me. But then he, he whispered to this person, do what you must do and do it quickly. So Jesus was in control of the situation. He knew what was happening. So this wasn't just any ordinary night. And it says that in the scripture in Luke chapter 22, it says that Jesus was grieved in his spirit. You know, he, was, he was feeling pretty tense about this. And yet at the same time, at the same time, he, he said to the apostles how much he was looking forward to, uh, to, to being there with them and having that meal with them that night. So there must have been something pretty important happening that night if he knew that uh, he was going to be betrayed by one of his mates, yet he was still so eagerly looking forward to this time of being together. Now, how incredible was that? So, so what was it that he was... Why was it that he'd be so eagerly looking forward to, to being with him that night if he knew that he was going to be suffering and tortured and crucified? Why? Well, as we look at the Last Supper, we see really it was the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry today. To date, the next day he would be crucified. Uh, but everything... All the roads, all the pathways were really leading to this particular point in time. And I think that there's some things that we can unpack from the Last Supper. There are some things that we can learn as Jesus showed us some new ways. Um, and these ways are where the roads, the pathways of the last three years of life and ministry all come together and converge. So that's what we're going to look at today, these three ways. But before we do, I just want to pray. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you gave your son, Jesus, as a living sacrifice who would suffer and die and be raised from the dead. I thank you for his willingness to go on that journey. I thank you that through his death we have been given life. I thank you for the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit who is with us here today. And Lord, I ask that every word that is spoken through this message be anointed, but every word that is heard be a word which will go deep into our, into our spirits, Father God. Father God, that you'll speak to us even beyond the words that are spoken. Father God, that you'll, you'll minister to us, that you'll change our thinking, that you'll give us insights and revelation, and that through this uh, service today, there'll be glory that will be brought to your son, Jesus. Lord, we ask you this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So why was Jesus so eager to eat this Passover? Why? And I think it's that Jesus had new ways he wanted to show us uh, and for all would, uh, new ways for all who, who would be his disciples to actually embrace. There are three new ways that Jesus showed us that I want to talk about today. And the first is that Jesus showed us a new way of living. And this comes through the, what we see here of this Last Supper as they celebrated the Passover. Jesus showed us a new way of faith. Again, this is, this is opened up over this incredible meal. And Jesus showed us a new way to be grateful. And so we're going to touch on each of those three. So the first one, Jesus showed us a new way of living our lives in a way that was pleasing to God. You see, he did this by showing us a new command that he, he told us that we were to follow. Now, I reckon that at that particular point in time, when Jesus said to his, his A-team, his disciples, hey guys, I've got a new commandment that I want to give to you. 
Uh, I reckon they would have gone, groan. Another one, because the Jews, and these were Jews living in the nation of Israel, the Jews, under their law, they already had 613 commands that they had to obey, going back from the Old Testament. So they're thinking, great, now we've got 614, I reckon. So I don't know how well they would have received the news that there was yet another one for them to obey. Uh, anyway, Jesus said, well, I have a new command to give to you. And um, the people of Israel, the Jews, had been weighed down by all of the 613 commands that, that were in the Old Testament. And this was called the yoke of the Pharisees. A yoke is like a burden that you actually carry. It's something, uh, something that you carry. But elsewhere, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus actually talked about the yoke that he would give them. And it was, the yoke was a way of life of someone who was following a guru. And he said that... Um, he said that uh, the yoke that he gave us would not be burdensome, it would be light, and that people would find, um, find rest for their souls. So what was this new command that he actually had for them? Well, the command that Jesus was giving was meant to ease the burden rather than add to it. The Apostle Paul later wrote in his letter to the Galatians, and this is a really critical point, that, that if you get it right with this one command you automatically get it right with the remaining 613. So what was this new command? Well, the new command that Jesus gave, you'll see on the screen, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples by your love. Jesus was saying that the simple, single most important commandment here was that of love. Not just the way we love, but the way he loves. And if we're to love people, our neighbours, anyone and everyone, no matter what gender, no matter what colour skin, no matter what race, no matter what socioeconomic status they might be, if we're to love in the way that Jesus actually loved, People everywhere will know that we're his disciples. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians, he said that um, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. You see, the Apostle Paul was saying, if we do this, as Jesus is actually asking us, we will satisfy all the other requirements of all those other 613 laws that are out there. If we do this one thing right, well the rest will fall into place. Now, this isn't a license for immorality and it's not a license for doing whatever you want, not at all. But it's a call to love as Jesus would. You see, it's not loving to kill or to steal or to lie and deceive or to commit adultery or to, to lust after someone else's possessions or person or whatever it is. It's not loving to treat others like a second-class citizen. It's not loving to put yourself first all the time. There's a whole range of things that are very, very much in the opposite stream to the kind of love that Jesus showed. The kind of love that Jesus showed wasn't focused on himself. He came to earth out of love so that we could find a way that he would prepare to be reconciled back to the Father again. 
And it was a sacrificial kind of love where he was prepared to give, give everything, give his life for us. And we see another glimpse of that love, that kind of love in the stories that Jesus told, like the story of the, um, the shepherd who would leave the 99. He left them safe and together. Why? To go after the one who wasn't safe, to go after the one who was lost. That was the kind of love that Jesus showed to us. And that's the kind of love that he wants us to embody. You know, we're told that the Holy Spirit will pour the love of God into us, if we allow him, of course. We're told that the Holy Spirit will help us, sanctify us, clean us, so that we can actually live the lives that Jesus actually wants us to live. That's why we need to be so open to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to see us transformed bit by bit more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, who loved perfectly. See, loving like this is a new command that Jesus gave us to obey. Now, I want you to think about it for a second, about, about how will you love and what perfect love looks like. I, I realise that um, you probably can't see very well on my little board here, but I've got here uh, a scale of 0 to 10. Now, if Jesus was a 10 out of 10, which I believe he was, of course, he modelled love perfectly. You know, Scripture also says that God is love. God is love. Jesus is love. Jesus is the embodiment of love. If he was 10 out of 10... Who do you reckon might be a zero? And no one in this room, please. Who comes to mind as a, a zero? Well, Hitler or Stalin, someone like that. I'll, I'll write down uh, Hitler. He didn't really cope very well in the, the love quotient, old Hitler, did he? Uh, or Stalin. But whereabouts do you reckon you would be? Even better, before that, I want you to think of the most loving person you know of. Shucks, it's okay. No need to shout out my name. <laughs> Apart from me, of course. Um, yeah, okay, no need to shout out names. Um, but uh, think of the most loving person that you know of. And what type of score? Don't, don't yell it out. Just, this is just quietly for yourself. What kind of score do you reckon you'd give them? Hmm? Now, let's think about someone else. Say, Mother Teresa. What time of score do you reckon you give her out of 10? You know, does everyone know who Mother Teresa is? Yeah? Spent her life in the slums of India, devoted her life to caring for people, enabling people to die with dignity. That was her big thing, by actually loving them through the last days of their life. <clears throat> so... What would you give Mother Teresa as a score? Come on, give us a number. Nine and a half. Nine. And a half. Nine. Anyone else? Ten. Ten. Okay. You know what? I reckon Mother Teresa would have rated herself way down here. Quite low. Because she knew herself. She knew of her own failings. She knew about when her love was not complete or not total. She knew about when she got stinking attitudes at times. Other people mightn't have seen it, but she knew that she wasn't perfect. And so I'm going to give her a ten, an eight. 
Now, <clears throat> in my mind, apart from Jesus, she's probably the, the highest standard of love that I can think of on this earth. Can anyone else think of anyone else who might be higher? Hmm? Mary? Bag it. <laughs> Mary said Richard. <laughs> this is so sickening. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, apart from Mary and Richard and our little love talk, has anyone else got any other comments? Who, oh, sorry? Who? Joseph. Yeah, that, yeah, but Joseph was pretty high up, wasn't he? Who else? Anyone, any contemporary figure? Okay, let, let's leave it as Mother Teresa. Now, when, if, if Mother Teresa was an eight... Go back to that most loving person who you personally know and there's a fair chance that they won't, won't, be, un, un, won't be at Mother Teresa's level. Perhaps they might be just a little bit short. Perhaps they might be a long lot short. Again, give them a rating now out of 10, just, just quietly. And then how do you rate compared to that? I think what you'll find is that that's probably somewhere there, is, is how you rate yourself in terms of love. Let's put it this way, let's hope it's north of Hitler and Stalin, okay? <laughs> but, see, Jesus showed us a new way of doing life, which was to, to live with absolutely incredible love. He showed us that, didn't he? And he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. He said this is the Last Supper. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, my, all my followers, if you love one another. So we don't have to live a life that's burdened down by trying to get everything right. Oh, how many steps am I allowed to take on the Sabbath day? How do I have to wash my hands and before I eat to be ceremonially pure? How do I have to do this? How do I have to do that? No, 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 no. See, sometimes doing the right thing can get in the way of doing what's really the right thing, which is love. And, and if, if we're motivated by our love and by bringing, bringing the love of Christ into our life to, re to receive it and to pass it on to others, the rest of it will naturally fall into line, won't it? Does that make sense? And so the, the little challenge here is just do a bit of self-reflection on, on where, where you come in here and how can your love life improve how can your love life improve how can you learn to love more and more like Jesus I think part of the answer is also by opening our, ourselves more and more to his love in Romans chapter 5 it talks about how the Holy Spirit has poured the love of God into our lives and I don't know about you, but I want to be like a cup that's overflowing with the love of God, which then flows, and I know I'm not, um, but I want to be like that. And so that it then flows on more and more and more and more to others. And then perhaps then, perhaps then, I'll be able to lead better as a servant leader, like Jesus showed us in that illustration in John chapter 13 of the Last Supper when he got down and he washed the feet of the disciples. So Jesus showed us a new way, a new way of love.
And if he didn't do so well in this self-assessment, the second lesson that we're about to look at, uh, that Jesus shows us, will be good news for you. Because the, the second point is that Jesus shows us a new way to be made right with God. He shows us a new way of faith. And in the world in which um, Jesus lived, the Jews had a way of trying to be made right with God. And as we already touched upon, it was by <laughs> trying to obey all 613 laws. Bad luck if you only got 612 right, okay? Uh, or trying to obey all 613 laws to live a perfect life. And guess what? They found it was impossible. And so when they, they fell short of perfection and they sinned, and that's what sinning means, it means falling short. Um, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a play on words because sin is an archery term and, and when the arrow fell short, it was called a sin. You miss the mark, you fall short. And so when they, they, when they fell short, what they'd then go and do, they'd, they'd go and make a sacrifice as a way of actually trying to atone for their, their sin to atone for how they'd fallen short. And perhaps a lamb that was without blemish would be the sacrifice, the sacrifice in the hope that this costly sacrifice would, would make up for their own shortcomings and that God would intervene and rescue them, wiping the sin slate clean. And that's what the Passover feast that they were celebrating here at the Last Supper um, was a reflection of. In fact, Jesus became the fulfilment of what the Passover pointed to. Let me unpack this a little bit. You see, going back about 1,300 years before the time of Jesus, the whole nation of Israel were without a land to live in because they'd gone down to Egypt because of famine. But then they'd found that they'd been enslaved there, they'd been trapped there, and they cried out in their slavery and captivity to God, wanting to be released and wanting to be taken back to their homeland again. But for Pharaoh, the, the leader of the Egyptians, uh, he wouldn't have a bar of it. And so Moses, who was their leader at the time, went to Pharaoh time after time trying to seek permission uh, to leave. And Pharaoh kept on saying, no, no, no. And his heart became hardened and hardened and hardened. He, he didn't want to let them go. And so God made a way, um, a way for him to be able to rescue the people and, and take them out of captivity and home. And this is what the Passover celebrates. You see, through Moses... Uh, God instructed the Jewish people to take a lamb and to sacrifice it, using its blood to identify them as God's people. And that night, the firstborn sons in all the households would die, with the exceptions of the households that had the blood of a lamb smeared on the door frames. They were passed over. And that's where the word the Passover comes. They were passed over and, and spared. And when this happened, of course, you can imagine the great anguish and turmoil uh, that took place. And, um, and Pharaoh finally told the, the Jews to, to go, get out of here. You've caused enough trouble. Go on, get out of here. I, I don't want to see you anymore. And so they were set free by the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed and that was, was sprinkled on the door frames, enabling the Passover to occur. You see, God had released them from the bonds of their captivity and they were free to be God's people in the place that he had prepared for them, the land that would become Israel. And now for Passover meal, 1,300 years later, just as the people had been set free physically, Jesus was about to show us 
a new way to be set free from our sins and to be made right with God. After taking the cup, Jesus gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. See, Jesus was saying that he would provide the new Passover meal. Instead of a lamb being sacrificed and its blood being spilt, and then the, the meal being prepared in a very, very particular way, it would be his own body that was sacrificed and it would be his blood that would be spilled. Some years earlier, when Jesus was baptised by John, uh, John the Baptist, John the Baptist said about him, Behold, the Son of the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. See, Jesus was already being called the Lamb of God. And then later on in the book of Revelations, looking back at Jesus, it refers to Jesus as the Lamb who was slain. So back of it, in the Old Testament of the time of the Passover, it was, a, it was a lamb that was sacrificed and the blood was being sprinkled. But here for the Last Supper, Jesus was pointing out that he was to be the once and only sacrifice, the once and only Passover meal, who would be slayed and whose blood would be shed for the forgiveness of our sins so we did not have to keep on making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice to atone for our sins. See, the Passover foreshadowed the people being set free from slavery. But the Last Supper foreshadowed the people being set free from being slaves to sin. The Passover foreshadowed the people being, uh, being set free physically. The Last Supper foreshadowed the people, the people of God, the people who would follow Jesus, being set free spiritually. Jesus said that the bread that we eat identifies with his body that was sacrificed for us. And the cup that we drink identifies with the blood that he spilled. And as we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we identify with the new covenant that Jesus ushered in. Now Hebrews 8.13 says this about the new covenant. He says, by calling the covenant new, he made the first one obsolete. See, the first one was what the Old Testament was built on. And he's saying that this was made obsolete by the new covenant that Jesus has brought in. The, the passage goes on to say, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear, and it did with the temple age. As the temple age disappeared, as the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70 by the invading Romans, the temple age came to an end. And friends, we live in the church age under the new covenant rather than the temple age under the old covenant of the Old Testament. So the old covenant involved, um, revolved around obeying 613 laws. 
to be made perfect and then to make, sac- and, and then to make sacrifices when we, we fell short. The new covenant, however, revolves around the new commandment that Jesus gave us. Uh, it's only appropriated by faith, not by, by works, but it revolves around receiving the love of, of Jesus and then taking that, that love to others because that's how we'll, the whole world will know that we're, we're his followers, his disciples. So the old covenant revolved around what we must do to earn our perfection, whereas the new covenant revolves around what Jesus did to perfect us in his eyes. And he did that when he, he offered his body as a once and for all sacrifice. And that's what we're to remember when we take communion. That leads us to the third and last point for today. Jesus showed us a new way to be grateful by remembering him and what he has done for us. You know, 13 years before Jesus was there at the Last Supper, about 1,300 years before, at the time of the Passover, God then told the people of Israel, uh, who were set free at that point in time, he said, once a year, I want you to go and have this meal, this Passover meal, that you had to prepare in a special way with these particular ingredients. And as you, you eat this Passover meal, I want you to do it each and every year as a way of remembering what I did for you and to be grateful for that in the way I led you out of captivity. Jesus showed us a new way. Well, we don't have to go through all that form. And it's something that we can do any day. Any day that we come together as a body, any day we come together as a small group, any day we come together as a church, because together we are the body of Christ. We are the resurrected body of Christ. We are the church. We are his church. We are his mouthpiece, his, his, his uh, hands, his feet uh, on this earth today. As Rod was saying earlier, Rod and Sharon were saying earlier, we are... Where are his avenues for generosity and love flowing in practical ways on this earth? Where are his body? And when we come together as his body, when we come together as his body, we have to be grateful and to remember. And it's simple. It's simple. It's not, it's not a certain meal provided in a certain way. But rather, the, the Apostle Paul wrote about uh, what happened at the Last Supper. And here he was actually referring to feasts when people would come together. It's, it's not like uh, every... It's, we often over... Uh, is it over-religious? Is, is that a way of putting it? We, we make, make our ceremonies so religious that we lose, lose track of what they originally were. Because when Paul was writing about this, he was talking about like a bunch of us coming together and celebrating and, and having a meal together and having, uh, having, you know, celebrating what God was doing in our midst. I'll tell you a little aside here. I read a story some years ago of a church in Las Vegas where a church had been going over 100 years and the high point of the, the, cerem- of the, the uh, church service was a communion ceremony. And what would happen then was a bunch of deacons would come up. Uh, deacons or officials in the church would come up and they would, almost like it was over a coffin, they would come alongside and then they'd gently lift the, uh, the silk cover uh, and then they'd move it to the side and they'd fold it and everyone was, 
you know, just such a holy, awe-inspiring moment. A new pastor came to his church and he thought, yeah, the ceremony is lovely, but what, what's the basis for it? Where did it come from? And then he found a lady who was um, in her 90s who was there when the ceremony started. And so he was all ears wanting to know uh, what it was all about. Why did they uh, start this ceremony? And she said, oh, that was simple. That was to keep the flies off the bread. <laughs> so sometimes something is really practical. We can actually turn it into something which is really, really... I don't know, it becomes an idol. But communion's meant to be a celebration. And communion is meant to celebrate community as well, the fact that we are joined together as part of God's body, but we're here because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and what he did for us. He died on the cross. He provided a way for our sins to be forgiven. He rose from the dead showing that he defeated sin, he defeated death, he, he provides a way to a new life on this earth and also in eternity. He is our Lord, he is our Saviour. He showed us a way of doing life which was not by obeying 613 commands and making sure we don't trip up, but rather coming right down to the heart of it, giving us, wanting us to have a heart like God, of actually wanting to love people love everyone and anyone just as Jesus loved you and me that's what Jesus wants us to remember it's the new covenant we see here up on the screen Paul wrote the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. This is where we remember the sacrifice of what Jesus did for us. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. As we take the bread and the cup, we proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection. And when we do it with a heart wanting to receive and follow Jesus, we enter into the life on this earth and the eternity that he has for us. So friends, I'd invite you all to take the bread that's in front of you and the cup. And don't do it if you're not comfortable. And don't do it if your heart isn't here in the right place of wanting to, to thank Jesus for what he has done for you. No problems if you're not in the right place to do this. It's got to be your own free will. I want you to take them in your hands and don't drink until I tell you or don't eat till I tell you. So let's all take the bread. That re represents... Jesus' body that was broken and remember and proclaim Jesus now I think back when Paul was writing about what happened at the last supper I think they would have um, celebrated what Jesus did and that's what we're going to do I'm going to raise my my bread before I eat and say to Jesus 
and I invite you to do the same. To Jesus. Let's take the cup that represents Jesus' blood that was spilled. The blood of Jesus was spilled for us that we may remember the new covenant, that we may be part of this new covenant. To Jesus. And as we finish today, I want you to take some time to just chat with others around your tables about the new way of faith and life that Jesus has given you and why you can be grateful for this. So, Father, I thank you and praise you that you are such an amazing God. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice for us and I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who is with us today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fall upon each and every one of us, that you saturate us in your presence, that you turn our eyes and our heart towards Jesus, and that praise will rise from our lips as we thank Jesus for being that, that sacrificial lamb, for spilling his blood. that we can become men and women of a new covenant. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you for coming along today. Be blessed and please just spend a bit of time around the tables if you've got time. Just chatting about what's on the screen. Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series, which is available for you over at towerracecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. You'll find links in the description. We are praying for you. Have a great week.